Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and welcome back to the Tennis Podcast, where the band is back together. I'm here, David's here, Matt's here, David's got a tan, but, David, rave reviews for Charlie Eccleshare last week. You're on, uh, you're on, you're on thin ice, I would say, tennis podcast-wise. How are you doing? I'm, I'm fine, and actually, that's that's okay with me. He he's quite welcome to come back, and I'll have another week in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Um, Everyone's a winner, including including my dad, who who is a big fan of yours, David, but has mentioned to me several times this week how much he enjoyed uh, the contribution of Charlie on last okay, week's show. I'm, Very I'm big less Charlie Eccleshare fan. I'm less on board with that because I quite like being in your dad's good books. <laughs> I think Charlie might be on the boat, you know. Oh. Yeah, I've never, we'll, I've never we'll been mentioned. We'll confirm, but uh, I suspect that is the case. Okay. Anyway, welcome back, David. The tan suits you. Thank you. (laughs) Good holiday. Very good holiday. And I very much enjoyed listening to the podcast. It is uh, noticeable how much you are out of the loop when you're on holiday and you actually have one, as you've been trying to get me to do for the last 10 years. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed listening to this thing, the Tennis Podcast, episode 1009 or whatever it was. Um, And uh, I feel like I know all about last week. The problem is I now need to know about the week I'm talking about, which is uh, might be a more of a challenge. So if anybody can send a quick message to Charlie, that would be helpful. Yes, because the hamster wheel of tennis <laughs> keeps on turning, don't we know it? Matt, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. I was I was expecting a, a gag about David being home like the football is home. I've, I've, I've very much had eyes on football this weekend. I couldn't think weekend. of a gag that wasn't a cliché, so... I did it. I for left you. it out, but you, you've you've gone there, Matt, and I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have been watching some tennis, but yeah, it's been a football-heavy weekend. Yes, yes, there have been distractions, folks. We've done our best. We get the violins out for us. We've done our best to watch some tennis. Um, I, I do. I, I think I'm, I, I've, I've watched a bit this week, but I. I, with all due respect to the tournaments that have that have just been and have been over the over the last few weeks, today is the day that the U.S. 
hard court swing begins, right? This is the day that the US Open series, the build up to the final slam of the year, it starts. The season starts making sense again today. Yeah. I think it does, doesn't it? Uh, and actually, even just looking down the little list of tournaments that there are, I I notice a couple of big ones, and I'm not quite sure which ones are which at times. When I look at the Washington WTA event and the San Jose 500 event, uh, also WTA event, I'm not quite sure what's what, but I, I get that same feeling. And I'm always a bit blown away by how the players who go from Wimbledon and have got the US Open quite a long way on the horizon are able to tune in as 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 they are. I mean, I've had a couple of weeks off, and I really needed those couple of weeks off. And I'm I don't quite know how these players go from a Grand Slam to one of these and just immediately adjust. I mean, Caroline Garcia, who we'll be talking about, she's had a great run for a, a number of weeks now, hasn't she? Including beating Raducanu at Wimbledon, and she never comes across as anything other than up for it into the sports, zoned in and. And I, I'm quite amazed at how how that mental gymnastics is possible. Really, are you saying you'd be a, you'd be a big tournament player, David? <laughs> yeah, I would. I would. I'd be. I, I. I. just. I don't know what I'd do in the interim from first round loss. You're, to, you're Serena Williams, just rocking up at a slam, expecting to win it, but without actually getting any results in between. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, should we start with Caroline Garcia and uh, the tournament in Warsaw this week where Iga Swiatek was, was the top seed, her first tournament since uh, that defeat to Elise Cornet at Wimbledon. And she lost to Caroline Garcia in the quarterfinals. Garcia went on to back up that win, uh, clinch the title, beating Anna Bogdan of backhand list fame in the final. So now it's Anna Bogdan of Warsaw final and backhand list fame. So congratulations to Anna Bogdan for expanding her CV. Not that it needed expanding, because obviously being on Matt's laminated backhand list is achievement enough. Um, Caroline Garcia, though, she she was on a roll. <laughs> I was expecting someone to say something about Caroline Garcia there, but no, I'll carry on until somebody finds something to say about Caroline Garcia. She had her little role coming into Wimbledon, didn't she? Um, and we never know how long a role is going to carry on for, for for Garcia. We never know what it's going to mean, but it's a role that is is still rolling. Yeah, it is, and I think you could maybe say it started at the French Open where she won the doubles title there. I think that was a really big deal for her in her career, that final, you know, the atmosphere really built during that match. It was a special moment to be part of. She then obviously got on the grass, won bad Homburg. Round four at Wimbledon was a really good little run for her there. She had some big moments, obviously beating Raducanu on the centre court, probably the main one. Semi-final in Lausanne a couple of weeks ago, and now this title here. And she's doing it all with heavy, heavy strapping on her legs. And yet she seems to be okay because she's kept it rolling. And I think what I've been most impressed with is her return of serve. I mean, every time I've watched Garcia in this run, she has been so aggressive on return, just hitting clean winners. And I think actually the very first return game she played against Sviontek in that quarterfinal match set the tone. She hit three return winners off Sviontek's second serve right from the start of that match. And 
if Svantec has a weakness, it might actually be the second serve. We've not really seen anyone exploit it that much, but Garcia really did. And then, of course, Svantec got into the match and that was then impressive again that Garcia was able to sustain her level to live with Svantec playing better and end up winning that match. And then, as you said, the fact that she backed up that win by winning two more matches to go and clinch the title just shows the confidence and the form that she's in at the moment. And we all know she's capable of of tennis like this. And yet it, it seems to happen in little runs of a couple of weeks, a couple of months. You just don't know how long it's going to last sort of for her career. But at the moment, she's one of the form players in the world and she's brilliant to watch. Do you think every time Caroline Garcia comes into some form, Andy Murray thinks, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's not too late for my tweet to come true. That's why he hasn't My big deleted prediction it. to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just like you're thinking, you know, Zachary and Sitsipas could do the US Open double, Matt. It's not too late. Yeah, it will be soon. I put a time limit on mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's stay on the Svantec defeat for a moment. How much was that about Caroline Garcia and the way she played and the level to which she played or contrastingly, how much is, has Caroline, did she in that match unlock a bit of a, a secret, find a bit of a cheat code, a repeatable template that other players can now use for doing the seemingly impossible and beating Iga Sviantec? Well, well, she made the serve. You mentioned it, it can be a bit of a weakness, the second serve of Sviantec. She, she, it was made to look like one because of the what Garcia was doing to it. And I was just trying to think of of examples whilst Matt was speaking of, of what it's like watching Garcia try to return like that. And the closest I can come up to with is Yelena Ostapenko because she was trying to hit clean winners off it, hitting it as hard as she could, heaving the ball. I mean, she's often got herself in trouble over the years, I think, by this determination to stand inside the baseline for both first mm. and second serves and get herself sort of handcuffed. I've, I've sat next to Nigel Sears in the past in, in commentary, and he said, you know, when, it, when, when it's working, it's obviously it is intimidating to look at that court positioning as a server. But if you get a good deep first serve in enough times, she will just miscue enough returns for you to, to, to be safe. And, uh, at Wimbledon against Raducanu, it was noticeable the difference in power between the two players. And that was partly because I think Raducanu was missing something on that forehand side in particular. She looked a bit feeble by, by comparison power-wise. Um, but I think that this this run is actually more than just that. This is showing a, a degree of confidence in Garcia's game where she's just taking it to opponents because she believes she can. And against Svantec, in terms of unlocking any secret... I think it is. Look, the other player that has had wins against Fiontech recently is Ostapenko. And it is a player with true weapons, true blistering power, who is just not going to get involved in rallies with her, not allow her to dictate. And yes, the first two sets were 6-1, one either side. But even so, when you're going into that third set, you, as, if you're watching Garcia, you think she's got chances because she's not changing that strategy. And, it, and I think it, was very, it must have been very disconcerting for Shriontek because where do you put the serve to be safe? And, uh, and I, think it, I think it knocked her confidence. Good, good point about Ostapenko because, of course, she has one of the best quotes of the tennis year, just casually and dismissively saying... 
Oh, yeah, I know how to be so. <laughs> when she was sort of on win number, you know, 35 of her streak. Oh, I know how to beat her. Well, the way the way Garcia was doing it, you, you, I mean, I suppose this is always the case when anybody beats someone, you think, well, how come anybody, nobody else has thought of that? I'm sure mm. they have, but it was made to look very obvious that that serve, you run around it and you just smack the ball as hard as you possibly can. Look, I'm, I, th- I think the truth is when Sriantec's playing well enough, she doesn't give you quite as many easy ones to hit. And she's also in place so quickly that she absorbs that big hit and turns it round on you. And that wasn't happening. It was, it, it was interesting to contrast the, the final, which I saw some highlights of today, and that quarterfinal. Big difference in crowd size. I, w- I wonder whether any of that is a bit of a weight on Shantek's shoulders as well because she had that match with Agnieszka Radwanska recently for charity in Poland. And, um, you know, there's a lot there's a lot on her, isn't there? I think she's handling it in- exceptionally well, but maybe it's not very surprising that she has a bit of a dip as well. Do you expect her confidence to be impacted at all by this defeat, the defeat to Corne at Wimbledon? I mean, ultimately, they're just, they're just two defeats, aren't they? But obviously, in the context of the expectations that we've come to have of Shuantek, that's, you know, that's a mini crisis. Um, how how would you expect her to react to, to these defeats? Like, I don't think she'll brush them off. I think she'll think about them and react accordingly and probably get better as a result of them. I, I, I think she's shown that, you know, she's she's a thinker about I think all of her matches wins and losses they all mean something to her and yeah I I do completely agree with David that there's a there's a stylistic similarity in the way that Ostapenko and Garcia have gone about beating her and look if we're picking up on that then I absolutely know that Igor Sviontek is is realizing that and probably wanting to in improve that second serve but I do also agree that for Sviontek to lose at the moment, she probably does have to be below her best because her best is so good. We've seen it that she's able to make up for any small deficiencies in her game. And it's also a case that it's not easy to do what Garcia and Ostapenko have done. It's not like everyone can just suddenly take that game plan and execute it. You know, It's really hard to relentlessly hit return winners or relentlessly put Fiontech under pressure, which is why I don't think it's happened that much. But it will be fascinating to see whether more players maybe go outside of their comfort zone a bit when they play her and, and try and execute it. But for Fiontech, I feel like she's fine. She's still <laughs> clearly the best player in the world. And that was obviously an event on clay. She now goes, you know, she's now got a run on the hard courts again. And I think, you know, she's also going to be targeting success at majors on hard courts because that's that feels like the next step for her. And in terms of Garcia, the impossible question incoming, folks, <laughs> brace yourself. Hooray. But does it mean anything? These these titles that she's picking up, does it make you revise not your assessment of her potential because we know her potential, we've always known her potential, but she's now at a stage where the baggage is built up. We know who Caroline Garcia is, right? And we've known she's absolutely capable of, of winning titles. That's that's not news. So does it mean anything different for the for the remainder of Caroline Garcia's career? Might might mean something for the remainder of her summer. That's about as far as I'd go. And and the, and that is that this level of tennis 
would hurt anybody um and is it i suppose i don't know how repeatable it is because it that depends on her it, she's not really been a consistent player over the years but she did have a couple of months spell in that year when she reached the WTA finals and she won those two big tournaments in Asia back to back where she produced this kind of tennis. So, and she's done it for a couple of months now. So yeah, I think, I think it might not be the end of her winning this summer, for instance. Mm. The thing is her tennis can be just dreamy, but you absolutely don't ever want to have your credibility resting on a Caroline Garcia prediction. Oh, and and I that, that hasn't, I mean, that hasn't been... changed for me. <laughs> I've been stung as recently as the French Open. I know I lost points on her and I haven't forgiven her yet. Um, so mm. It's definitely it's definitely Garcia's fault, that, David. <laughs> Absolutely. I think I would agree. I think she can keep this going a little bit longer. She's very dangerous this summer because she's also very good on all surfaces. You know, mm. She's got this interesting breakdown of her titles now in her career she's won three on hard court three on clay three on grass um so i do think of her as someone who sort of should be able to carry it on the entire season she just never really really has um she was also serving brilliantly she's the ace leader now this year on on the wta tour uh, really? which obviously isn't adjusted for number of matches played but just which terms, really annoys me yeah i know it does that's why i brought it up this, this <laughs> thank you matt the stat i want um, stats compilers out there the stat that should be made available is percentage chance of hitting an ace on any given first serve thus so aces divided adjusted for number of matches and num- number of serves hit mm. that is what I would like tennis universe please take <laughs> heed um, yeah, you can pop. Stat. you can pop that just above um introducing uh, video replays for <laughs> double bounces and uh, we, we are seeing just the behind odd, that in the priority list we're seeing the odd drop shot statistic these days aren't we i, I want to see more of those but i actually that is a good statistic Catherine. i like that um mm. and it should be very achievable so yeah sort mm-hmm. yourselves out universe in prague staying with the uh, the women's tour for a moment marie buskova another player that's sort of keeping a role going Won the title there, obviously made her big breakthrough um, at Wimbledon. Where she beat Caroline uh, Garcia. Where she beat Caroline Garcia um, just a few weeks ago. Beat Anastasia Potapova to win her first WTA title. These do feel like significant breakthroughs for Marie Buskova now, I think. Yes, I think so. Her her first title, her fourth final it was. She'd, she'd played three previously and they'd all gone the distance. She'd played well in all of them, but wasn't quite able to close. I remember watching her just lose to Sloane Stevens this year in Mexico. Um, yeah, just, just a really good player who is on the rise, as you said. And speaking of stats, did you see the the stat sheet for this final it was it was provocative and eccentric in in an interesting oh, yeah. way 636 love to buskova as you said she didn't hit a single winner oh this is a very really? madison brengel mm. energy she managed to win the match without hitting a single winner kept her unforced errors down she was extremely consistent played a solid wow. match and basically just let potapova miss potapova up to 44 unforced errors in just oh my in gosh. two quick it's sets. Sprengel Yastremska. Literally, literally that. 
yeah, really amusing. And then, I have to say, credit to Potapova, she then recovered and went and won the doubles title. Got all the mistakes out of her system. Is that typical Buzkova, do you think? Or has she adapted that strategy for Potapova? I think that's an adaptation. Yeah, I mean, she's not I mean, she's, she's not one of the big... She's, she's not, not one of the biggest winners. hitters on tours, is she? But she's not... Um, She's not zero. She's not Madison Brengel. No, no. She's smart, though. I feel like Madison Brengel has had an unfairly hard time <laughs> in this portion of the podcast. But <laughs> I think she would sort of hold her head up higher. I, exactly. I, totally. I think so, too. I think she t- takes it as a badge of honour. And I certainly that's how it's intended, <laughs> Madison. Mm. Uh, so Marie Buzkova and Caroline Garcia champions uh, in the WTA this week on the ATP side of things Kitchbill was not won by Dominic Team, folks we thought that Dominic Team might have been having a crisis well now we know he's having a crisis he hasn't <laughs> won Kitchbill um Roberto Bautista Agut won Kitchbill he beat somebody that I hold my hands up here I hadn't heard of before this week I'm having a very Tim Van Reithoven moment here he beat Philip Milosic no Misolic Misolic in the final, mm. who is Austrian? Mm. And he had a, oh, is he? Yeah, he he had a great run, uh, but and, and I think he had to finish his semi-final on the same day as the final, and looked like he just hit the wall a bit against Bautista Agu, and he won pretty comfortably. I think Bautista Agu's first title on clay in about eight years or something. He's he's really become such a good hardcourt player. Mm. Yeah, and grass court player yeah, as well. Absolutely. Um Wimbledon semi finalist. Yeah, it's it's funny, I just don't think of him as a clay quarter at all, really, Bautista Rigo. So good title for him in Kitchbull. Um in Umag, really interesting week, interesting final. Yannick Sinner beating Carlos Alcaraz, lost the first set on the tie break, and then dished out a double breadstick. So won it six seven, six one. 6-1, which is a weird score sheet. Um, there was a period at the end of the first set, start of the second, where they're both playing. It looks like they're both playing their best at the same time. And you think, oh, my goodness, this could be one for the ages. You know, two youngsters. This could be, you know, one that we're digging out archive footage of in 15 years' time when they're playing their eighth Grand Slam final against one another. And then... Alcaraz kind of drastically dropped off a cliff, I think. And Sinner took advantage of opportunities, um, but didn't need to drastically raise his game in order to take total control of that match. It was a a weird one for me, actually. What did you think, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think that that moment you talked about right at the start of the second set, that was it, wasn't it? I think Sinner saved six break points in that game, held from Love 40 down. Um, and then the rest of the match, like he was at Wimbledon, really, he was he was the steadier, more secure player. He was the one who had control of his game in a way that Alcaraz, in some matches recently, hasn't had. And particularly against Sinner, actually. that Those are the matches where it's been quite exposed that, you know, he's he's obviously capable of just brilliant but it's it's interspersed at the moment a lot with quite a lot of alarming errors um and i think it's been been really interesting actually to see sinner and alcaraz just develop this little bit of a rivalry over the last couple of 
months really you know they've played some big matches a Wimbledon fourth round a final on the tour and Sinner has been the one who's come out on top and I think that's big for him because you know Sinner broke through first he's obviously that little bit older he broke through first but he didn't get everyone quite as excited us included probably in the way that Alcaraz did this spring you know in in his run in in Miami and, and Madrid and I just think that it's really important that we have rivalries and I think Sinner Alcaraz could be a really good one and I was actually reminded of something Musetti said on the court um, after his final with Alcaraz in Hamburg where he said Alcaraz has has inspired us you know he's made us realize that we need to be better and maybe maybe Sinner isn't worrying about too much what Alcaraz is doing he's very process based he's very focused on his own result he was probably you know, probably pretty happy with the progress he was making, although there were some signs that maybe he wanted things to accelerate a bit more quickly with, you know, hiring a new coaching team. Um, But I just think the last couple of weeks, the results, Musetti beating Alcaraz, Sinner beating Alcaraz, that's kind of good for the tour, really. You know, I I still think Alcaraz is Mm. the standout player from that age group, really. Um, but it's interesting that he's not having it totally his own way and he's not just swatting these players aside. Sinner, Mazzetti, kind of reminding everyone that they're really good as well and Sinner especially, I think. And yeah, I felt like Sinner has been waiting for this moment. It's his first top five win. He's had a solid year. He just hadn't... I don't don't think he'd reached the semi-final on tour yet and he's now won this title beating Alcaraz laying down a bit of a marker and i i just hope he kicks on and accelerates from here because yeah he's he's shown a really high level over the last couple of months sinner yeah i i am so impressed with sinner over the last few weeks because i i was a bit worried about him when he sacked piatti or got or got rid of piatti and all of the backroom staff as well you know that that doesn't say right right decision or not sort of the um the acuteness of that decision doesn't speak of you know i'm in a brilliant place and everything's going according to plan and and given what a methodical guy he seems to be you know with his peeling potatoes and washing the washing the dishes and now chopping the carrots you know whatever it is doing something as drastic as that felt really out of character to me and I and I worried about him and I, I needn't have I I've exp- I've expended uh you know worry about uh Yannick Sinner unnecessarily he seems to be doing absolutely fine I shan't shan't bother in the future um yeah <laughs> I, I'm re- I'm really really impressed and I agree with you rivalries are everything and I'm excited um I'm excited about this little group and that line from Mizetti very telling. I love the idea that Alcraz is already doing that to mm. to these youngsters, already already making them feel like, you know, they don't want him to, to get too much of a lead on them. I love that. Um, I, do, I do think it's... Well, I don't want to transfer my worry about Sinner into, onto worry about Alcaraz because I'm quite sure that he will be fine as well. But it is alarming how quickly he can go from looking, you know, transform the sport brilliant to flashy park player. That seems to happen in the flick of a switch. Um, and it's a 
bit of a worry. Is anybody else at all worried? Or do I need to stop worrying about young male tennis players who are basically fine? (laughs) Well, I do feel that some introspection is required given, as you say, how much he affected everybody, all of us, in watching him and coming to conclusions about what we were watching my myself at the top of the list there uh because the 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 analogy that comes back to me or came back to me watching him last night in that match against sinner is the one that uh your brother's girlfriend had come up with millie um catherine when when she'd said that watching our is like watching a superhero discovering his or her superpowers on the job whilst whilst just sort of freshly hatched suddenly able to stand up and oh my word i can do all this stuff what shall i do first um and uh and the the flip side to that is what i was watching yesterday which is i've got all this stuff all these superpowers why aren't they working and he was on that court and he didn't know how to make his game work and 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 there was no you talk about you might talk about plan a and plan b there was what he needed to figure out is well how do i just how do i play tennis now because i can't seem to get the ball in and and i do think that that is a recurring theme he he has had that match against um corda in monte carlo he's had the the french open match against ramos villanas and which he won, but it was five sets. He had the one against Alexander Zverev, where he's fighting a rear guard action. He's having to play spellbinding tennis in in the flashes, where suddenly his control returns in order to make it close. He's gone to Wimbledon. He's been beaten by a very professional, uh, accomplished performance from Yannick Sinner, who's got weapons of his own. And now he's reached two finals, and he's lost them both against Massetti and Sinner. Now, one way to look at that is despite the game not working he still got to two finals well done you know not a lot of players when their game doesn't work they go out in the first round or they just go on a terrible run of form he's still getting to the final um so there's some mental strength and some determination and appetite and all the rest of it in in what we see there but and look i'm certainly i'm certainly not concerned for his long-term prospects in any way based on what i'm seeing but i am a bit surprised that he at the moment, doesn't appear to be able to rein his game back in and find a level that makes him competitive without losing two sets, 6-1, 6-1. I, I was having a chatter about this with my brother last night because obviously he is he's a Carlos Alcaraz scholar uh, <laughs> these days. Um, and he, he was just speculating about, you know, again, not the same as you, David, same as all of us, I think, not worried about him long term, but just, you know, wondering exactly what it is that that's going on and just pondering a bit on this sort of flick of a switch thing that seems to happen to him. And he said, I wonder if it just takes so much commitment and confidence to pull off that kind of tennis that any fragment of self-doubt unravels the whole thing. What do we think of that as a theory? It's a good theory because he didn't seem to have any doubt at all, did he, when it was all working? Um, Mm -hmm. in the spring in those runs in Miami and Madrid and where he was so exceptional I'm trying to work out whether the fact that it's similar stuff happening is a good thing or a bad thing you know Mm. it's not like he's 
losing matches in lots and lots of different ways. It, it does appear to be a quite quite a similar problem. Certainly in the in the Grand Slam matches he's lost, it's been slow starts, hasn't it? And then he sort of found his tennis, but not not fully. And then in his last two finals, it's been pretty kind of erratic, unable to control control all all of his weapons and all of his power. Um, I suppose there's also a hint here of what we talk about a lot with Emma Raducanu in that kind of what's happening now is more normal. You know, he's a he's a brilliant talent, and as you said, David, he's he's reached back to back finals, not playing his best tennis. That's great. That's that's really good. And yet, because we've seen him be spectacular, we're almost judging him by that rather than by what would be more normal for a tennis player of his age. And I think that's always a difficult balance to get right, I suppose, in our analysis. Um, but absolutely, I'm not I'm not worried about Carlos Alcaraz. He is, he's great and he will figure this out, I'm sure. I mean, I, I just think back to... The last match she played last season, which was uh, against Hugo Gaston, that felt like quite a oh, quite yes. a scarring match for him at the time. That it mm. might take him a while to get over, and he just bounced back. This was the first time he'd lost from a set up all year. Like he's doing, wow. he's still doing incredible things, and it's it makes in a way it makes it even more interesting that we're going to now get to see mm. him figure out this little period of turbulence, I suppose. Alex Dumnor beat Jensen Brooksby to win the uh, ATP title in Atlanta, watched on by David Law. Da- David, give us the uh, the report on all things Brooksby Dumnor. Yeah, I, I had a little chat with Philip Studd, who was commentating on it for the World Feed, and he'd been watching the tournament all week long. And, and he, he made the point that the tournament felt like Jensen Brooksby's tournament, even though he didn't win it. He felt like the story. He was the one creating the headlines and the moments and... Um, and I suppose the chat really because he's American and he's a, he's unorthodox and and people have opinions about him. But if we just look at that final in isolation for a second, I actually think that Alex Dimonor might be about to to make a bit of a move here. Um, I I think that that oh. I'd love to talk to him about that. I, I I didn't get a chance to go into that press conference at Wimbledon if you remember when he lost to Christian Green and I, and I he ended up coming in at the same time as somebody else I had to go to and I I kind of wanted a sense even though I can imagine what he was like of how scarring how bruising that defeat was and and yeah I don't think he's the sort of person to wallow and then not come back the next time and give it everything I don't think this is a perfect example of that um what what I mean is I remember when when I was commentating on his match with Liam Brody at Wimbledon and, and I was I was with Todd Woodbridge and, and Woodbridge was saying that he thinks that he, he's got it into his head that he has to be aggressive and he has to be building weapons into his game in order to compete. And actually, maybe he might be better off investing more in the, the base game that he's already got, using his speed, using his consistency, absorbing other players' games. And yes, picking his moments and then pulling the trigger, but not trying to overpower people that he just can't overpower because you end up overhitting. And and I I, I wonder whether Dimonor's getting that balance right now. I know this is only one tournament and he's won it before, but he is really tough to beat if you if he just doesn't make too many errors because he's such a good competitor. He's got the speed, he's got good shots, but without them being 
mesmerizing shots all the time and yet i mean he won this final quite quite comfortable in the end it was 6-3 6-3 i think and brooksby phil stud was saying really looked like he was struggling in what is brutal heat and humidity there um and just to to build on the on the, the conversation around brooksby he'd had a semi-final against francis tiafo in which he'd won comfortably he'd won it won it really well 6-1 6-4 hit some brilliant shots. There were long rallies that he was ending. He was all of his unorthodox stuff. He was throwing in that was sending Tiafa around the bend, to be honest at times, I think. And then there was a, a moment at the end where, from what I understand, Brooksby did a celebration that Tiafo has done in the past, which is a kind of mimic of LeBron James. And the, the handshake, have a look at the handshake. It is, it is Ostapenko-esque, almost, between the two. They are not even looking at each other when their hands meet. Uh, and it is the merest touch of hands. That was, there was, there was aggro out there. It was, it was, I mean, I, th- I kind of get the sense that Brooksby is not one of the gang. He's not in with the Tommy mm. Pauls and the Taylor Fritz and the, and the, the Riley Opelka and the, that, the Francis That's definitely Tiafo. true. That's definitely the case, and, yeah. And I, I look, I don't know the exact reasons for that, but I can imagine he's very different. There is a lot of difference there, and difference doesn't always go down well. I think he is a bit of a wind-up merchant. Don't know whether it's intentional or not, but, I mean, look, he did that celebration right in the guy's face. I don't know how aware he was of, of what that might mean to his opponent because he'd just beaten him for the loss of five games. But, look, I find it very interesting and fun. Um but I also, yeah, I'm just, I'm just intrigued by watching which way that goes next because he's, he's going to rub people up the wrong way. And yet, Andy Murray loves watching him. I think other players enjoy watching him. I, I do. I, I like the Ostapenko of it all in that he's absolutely fine with it. Is he's fine with the consequences of it, isn't he? He completely embraces being abrasive um, and being an outsider. Um, I think the outsider thing it doesn't doesn't quite tally with with Ostapenko so much, but I think that's it's kind of his brand, isn't it? It's his defining feature. That I, you know, I do things my way, and I I don't mind if it pisses you off. If it pisses you off, then I'm I'm doing something right. I think, and I I like how much he is. you know, it's not he's not he's not a wind up merchant that's desperate to be loved. He's he's okay with his position in the tennis world, isn't he? Mm. Um, and I, yeah, I I like that about him. Mm. Yeah, it watching it felt. I don't know. I wasn't loving loving it that that celebration he did. Like I feel like it was almost in the aggro sweet spot, and yet I don't really know what Tiafo had done. Like it, it didn't feel like Tiafo had done anything for Brooksby to do that it, it felt a bit unnecessary i mean who has beef with tiafo like he seems great like especially <laughs> when you've just beaten him one and four yeah it just i can absolutely it's absolutely the sort of thing he's going to do and it is going to wind people up i just don't really get why he did it like there's always a reason with Ostapenko. something's something's happened and she's given it back like it just felt a bit unnecessary to me. Replicating his celebration is kind of a personal attack, even though seemingly there wasn't 
any aggravation from Tiafa. Maybe, maybe there's maybe there's backstory to mm. the aggro. That, which that's what I'd like to know. I w- if you'd like to share that with us, Jensen, we're we're available. Or Francis, yeah. always available. <laughs> uh, before we get on to talking about uh, what's going on this week in tennis, and it's a lot, folks. Suddenly, suddenly tennis is really happening from this week. Most players back in action. Um, we've had the news that Emma Raducanu is sort of working a bit with Dmitry Tursunov. That, um, that would have been good in the press release. <laughs> well, I was, I was, this news broke, I think, what, Thursday of last week, something like that. And I was getting texts from BBC Radio 4 saying, you know, we we want someone on to talk about Emma Raducanu's new coaching relationship and the fact that it's with a Russian coach and an MP has tried to talk her out of it and it's all drama and and now the situation seems to be we've had some quotes from from Raducanu who's playing in Washington this week that it's only a sort of two-week trial and he's not even available in Canada in a couple of weeks time due to a prior commitment so is it is it even is it even <laughs> how how much time should we dedicate to the ins and outs of Emma Raducanu appointing Russian coach Dmitry Tursunov? Because has she even appointed Russian coach Dmitry Tursunov? Or is this all slightly hot air? Or do we not know? A lot of questions there, David. <laughs> well, I mean, I look at it, the initial story was broken by Mike Dixon in the mail. Um, and it was correct. And they are working together. However long for they are working together in, in this period. Uh, and and it's an interesting appointment because Turs- even just on a on a straight tennis level, Tersnov has uh, experience with. Uh, he was a coach. He was a player himself. Then he's coached Arena Sabalenka. She had success during that time. He coached Annette Kontovate. She had success in that time and got to world number two, um, reached the finals of the WTA finals at the end of last year. And um, yeah, he's he's built a track record for himself as a coach, um, which. Uh, on the face of things, you can understand why she would therefore look at him as a, as an option. I, I I'm I don't I can't pretend to know who's a good fit for her and who isn't because she's had success through, throughout her very uh, short career so far with lots and lots of different people working with her. Whether it's Nigel Sears, whether it's Andrew Richardson, she's worked with Torben Belts this year. She's been talked about as somebody who maybe brings somebody in just for these very short periods of time to work on aspects of a game. So I don't, I don't know whether there's a type that works with her and 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 will be successful and not. Maybe she just doesn't know herself and she's just working that out. Maybe she is just going to keep having these very short stints with different coaches, which is seriously unusual. Um, and and I. I do wonder whether that's the right way at this point. And then, yeah, there is the element to the fact that he is a Russian coach. Is is that a problem or not? I mean, given that Wimbledon banned Russians, all 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 be only players, not actual coaches, from from being at the tournament. Um, I I haven't worked Emma Raducanu out in any way yet, really, other than the fact that she is an incredible talent who somehow won the U.S. Open out of nowhere. Uh, anything she has done since then I have not necessarily expected. I wouldn't have been able to predict in terms of the moves she's made behind the scenes. Um, so I end up just keeping an open mind about it. Um, but I but I do fi- find it a bit 
on one level I find it I don't find it ideal for her to 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 make changes I think it would be better for her to have have a coach until the end of the US Open at least just the same way she did last year that's what she did she went over to America she spent lots and lots of weeks so I hope for her sake in a way that yes okay Tersonoff's not available for a week that he's there thereafter um and then just in terms of the the element of hiring a Russian coach whether it's fair or not on him it has created another headline, another talking point, another thing for her to have to contend with and ask, answer questions about. Not necessarily a reason not to do it, but it is another factor. Is it a fair factor? Given that Russian coaches weren't banned from Wimbledon, there, there was never any discussion around Russian coaches or team members being being banned from Wimbledon, given the fact that no no companies are being pressured to 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 not hire Russian individuals or to you know let go r- Russian individuals from their from their employee, he's an in- independent contractor being hired to do an independent job. Um, j- just on the practical front, Matt, you you reminded us that um, one of the reasons his he stopped working with Annette Contivate, she told us, was that he was struggling to to get visas be- because of his nationality um, to to travel to all the places that she needed him to be. So that's an interesting one. Presumably something that's that's been discussed and worked out. Um, but is it is it fair? The fact that she's having, you know, uh, members of government put pressure on her to to not make the coaching decision that she wants wants to make is that fair? And yes, you might say whether it's fair or not. Why give yourself the headache? But maybe she just thinks, well, screw you. I, you know, I'm going to get criticised whatever I do, so I'm just going to do what's best for me. Yeah, I think that probably is what she thinks um i don't think it's fair in the same way i don't think it was really fair that elena rebekina had to constantly face questions at at wimbledon about her nationality when she switched to playing for kazakhstan four years ago way before the invasion you know and yet she was constantly faced with those questions and i think radicano would have known that it would have caused you know, it was going to cause conversation, baggage, as as we've said, um, that it was going to be an element here. She is going to be asked about it. I think, yeah, she probably has just decided that Tursunov is the best person available at this moment. And I say at this moment <laughs> very deliberately because it does appear to just be, as you said, an extremely yeah, short for, moment. For, I think, six days, <laughs> by the sounds of things. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello tennis podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. She's playing in Washington this week. She was due to face uh, Marie Buzkova in uh, the opening round, but Buzkova, I think, is withdrawn. Certainly, uh, Emma mm. Raducanu is now facing Luisa Chirico in the opening round. She's the second seed Raducanu at the bottom of the draw, could face Sophia Kennan in round two. She's got a wild card into the tournament. When, when did anybody last see Sophia Kennan play tennis? I mean, that's... Just seeing her name in a draw feels feels like quite a big deal. Uh, she faces um, Camilla Osorio in round one. Sloane Stevens faces Isla Tomljanovic first round. Azarenka against Yastremska. Um, it's Jessica Pagula, uh, the top seed at the top of the draw. Of course, a former champion in Washington. Simona Halep is in there. Madison Brengel. Hey, let's give Madison Brengel some love. <laughs> She faces Anna Kalinskaya first round. It's a good draw. It's only a it's only a two fifty event in Washington this week, whereas it's a five hundred event for the men. Um so it's kind of tier three for the women, tier two for the men, if you like. If uh, if a one thousand is tier one, say, and a grand slam is is something above that. So a little bit confusing, but you know, obviously tennis can't just make it simple and easy to understand. And Venus Williams is in the draw and was Venus Williams. and was practicing yesterday with Serena. Serena was in Washington. She's not playing the tournament, but she, she showed up and there was a practice session on one of the courts. Loads of fans there. Uh, I think really good access for the fans at that tournament. Amazing, amazing to see those two practicing. And Venus was in the in the point I saw. Venus was giving Serena the runaround, pulling her from side to oh. side. A little drop shot that Serena didn't get to. Yeah, it's going to be cool to see Venus oh. playing again. We like it. We like it a lot. So that's uh, the women's tournament in Washington. The men's, as I say, five hundred. So kind of tier two. Uh, Andre Rublev is. The top seed going to be interesting. You know, we were talking about it last week, weren't we? How these these Russian players will emerge from from the last few weeks. Belarusians as well. Uh, Belarusians as well, obviously. Um, Andrei Rublev, top seed, uh, gets a bye through to round two. Could face Jack Draper in round number two. Maxime Cressy, David, is the 13th seed. 
on a roll. When was the last on time? A roll. When was the last time that Maxime Cressy was brought up for the first time on the podcast, and not accompanied by Maxime Cressy, David? It's it's just what you have to do now, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to happen forevermore. <laughs> uh, and by the way, mm. just a, another little sign. I think I didn't know Serena was in Washington, um, and that's doesn't that just make you feel like this is serious? She is taking this properly serious. This is a run of events oh, into yeah. a Grand Slam that she's either playing or she's there practicing. She hasn't done that for years. Mm-hmm. I should think Wimbledon was a. Uh, was a realization probably Mm, yeah i I hope so i certainly hope so uh so just staying in washington on the men's side of things some interesting names in there hubert hercatch second seed he's got a buy through to the second round andy murray faces mikhail immer in the first round possible uh, meeting with aslan karatsev in round two incidentally uh andy murray is uh donating his prize money uh, from this week in Washington to uh, the campaign to help the children uh, of war-ravaged Ukraine, um, a UNICEF campaign. Uh, He's an ambassador for UNICEF, is Andy Murray, and the tournament have pledged to match that donation. So that is uh, a brilliant thing. Um, So Andy Murray there, potential meeting with Aslan Karatsev in round two. Uh, who else have we got? Sebastian Korda, Grigor Dimitrov, Riley Apelka, uh, Nick Kyrgios against Marcos Giron in round number one. Kyrgios fresh from reviving the doubles revolution. David, it's back on. Yeah, and, and actually qu- quite an interesting one. that I think he pulled out of singles. He was due to play singles and he, I saw him saying to the crowd that he couldn't play and then the next thing I know he's winning the doubles and and he he played two matches in the one day and beating um Ram and Sock in in the morning and then coming back to to win the final as well so I mean they they are a good doubles team those two and uh I I do think it is probably helping okay he didn't end up playing the singles this week I do think it is helping him to 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 carry on playing the tour because he's got his mate around and he's able to get out on the doubles court and probably to bring out his best tennis overall. And while we're on doubles, did you see what happened in UMAG? No. Do you remember when we were watching Dimonor Draper at Wimbledon, friend of the pot and last week's last week's guest, Charlie Eccleshare, asked us whether we'd ever seen a tie break where someone had come back from six love down to win it. And I think David immediately came up with one. Um, which Although maybe turned, turned out, out to be wrong, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that is what happened in the Umag uh, final. Um, Bellelli and Fanini were set down, and then they were six love down in the second set tiebreak. They won eight points in a row to win the second set tiebreak, and then they won the first four points of the match tiebreak. So they won twelve points in a in a row after they were six match points down, and ended up winning it. Um, Bellelli and Fanini wow. beating Glasspool and Heliavara. So, I mean, genuinely, I've never seen anything like that before. I didn't know Simone Bellelli was still playing tennis. <laughs> I just Googled him. He's only 36. I thought he was older than that. Anyway, well done, Bellelli Fanini. Young for a doubles player. <laughs> yeah, he could go on for yonks. I, th- I, I didn't realise he was a going concern. Uh, anyway. <laughs> 
Anyway, uh, Dan Evans uh, by through to the second round in Washington and he could face a potential second round meeting with Kyle Edmund, who is in a singles main draw. Goodness me, what a time it has been for Kyle Edmund. I mean, he's just not been a tennis player for for two years, pretty much. Um, had an awful time with his knee, had sort of, you know, Fra- had fragments removed from um, from his knee in a surgery uh, a few months back. So good luck to Kyle Edmund on the comeback trail. Denis Shapovalov, Taylor Fritz, Holger Rune. Uh, can he beat the media and win a tennis match? We will let you know on next week's pod. Uh, they're all in the draw Media beat him again Washington. this week. They did, yeah. The media Disguised very as well. Bernabe Zapata Morales. Head to head, seven <laughs> zero. Uh, the ATP are also in Los Cabos this week. The top seed is Daniil Medvedev. Uh, I'm fascinated to see uh, how this hardcore swing is going to play out for Daniil Medvedev. I mean, I've, I just feel like I can't remember the last time I watched him play tennis. I mean, I guess the answer is Halla. Um, but I didn't get to see much of that because I was covering Queen. So I just feel like, you know, he's a world number one and I just sort of keep forgetting forgetting he's there. So really interested to see how he fares this week and beyond. And he's normally brilliant in this time of the year, isn't it? This Mm. this has really been the time of the season, kind of the opposite to Sitsipas. Sitsipas has has kind of been a first half of the year player. Medvedev's really been a second half of the year player. He loves these tournaments. Very true. So if if he's off, mm. then you feel like you can you can read something into it this at this time of year because he's pretty consistent. Felix Auger, Aliassime is the second seed at the bottom of the draw. And Cam Norrie, the defending champion, he is playing in Los Cabos as well. And the women's 500 tournament this week is in San Jose. And my goodness me, the draw there is stacked. Maria Sakkari, top seed with a bye through to round two where she would potentially play Bianca Andreescu. And that is if Bianca Andreescu can beat Shelby Rogers in round one. I mean, these are seriously great matches. Katie Bolter against Karolina Pliskova, replay of their match at Wimbledon on Jabur, by through to the second round where she could meet Madison Keys. We've got Beatrice Adad Meyer, David. Don't She's care. back. Oh, my right. God. Okay. <laughs> Right, okay. Uh, Daria Kazakina against Elena Rabatkina. Uh, Taylor Townsend uh, on the comeback trail as well. Arena Sabalenka's back. Uh, Coco Goff uh, could play Naomi Osaka in round number two. Naomi Osaka, incident- incidentally, has got Zhang Chin Wen uh, in round one. I mean, it's it's an awesome draw in San Jose. It really is. Paola Bedosa, second seed at the bottom of the draw. It's... It's just bangers everywhere you look there. I'm really excited about this week of tennis. Uh, And we'll be back to wrap it all up for you uh, next Monday, won't we? And and beyond, the US Open swing starts now. And we're all booked to go to the US Open. And we are blooming excited, aren't we? Extremely. I am I am David yeah. Law going to Roland Garros for the first time. Levels of excited. Yeah, it's the first time we've. It's not the first time we've all been present at the U.S. Open, but it's the first time we've all been there. Accredited media, 
you know, podcast, all singing, all dancing, and we're all flying out on the same plane, and we are, we're pumped, folks. We're seriously pumped. Very, very excited. So, uh, before we leave you for this week, I have to tell you about Harry. Harry is a one-year-old Havanese puppy owned by Judy Matthews. I'm looking at a picture of Harry and he's, I know I say this every week. I I know I do. And I, I mean it every week, but Harry really is utterly gorgeous. We had, we had about the three minute delay to recording because David caught sight of the picture of Harry. Uh, (laughs) And just, you just can't take your eyes off him. He's gorgeous. His head's so fluffy. He's, he's, Oh, I don't know what to say. We'll we'll put a picture of him in the newsletter. We'll pop it on Instagram. He's just gorgeous. Uh, he's been listening to the tennis podcast since he arrived in Monkstown, County Dublin, at twelve weeks old. Um, and yeah, I'll say it again. He's absolutely gorgeous. So hello, Harry. Thank you for being our mascot for this week. And if you want to see a picture of him, sign. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market and up to the newsletter uh where we'll also be doing predictions unfortunately david and darwin it's back on i've got carter matt's got Gerald the Cat. Billie Jean's at daycare today. She is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner, our executive producers and top blokes. And we have shout outs, Matt. We do. We have Simon Wood uh, in Ballum. We know Simon. We know Simon. Did we know Simon lived in Ballum? That's down the road from me. I don't know. Hello, Hello Simon. Simon. Simon came to our live show, didn't he? He did, yes, yes. Very nice. He says he once played Tim Hemman as a seven-year-old and he won two points. He was scarred for life and his tennis career was over. I'd be quite oh. pleased. <laughs> I'd love to hang win on, two who, points. Hang on, who, who was seven at the time? Tim or Simon? Uh, unclear. Maybe both? Oh, let us know, Simon. Let us know. Hello and thank you. We also have Carrie Flanagan, who is in Northern Ireland. Hi, Carrie. Hello, Carrie. Tennis carries. Not sure there are any. I've got Carrie Bradshaw, fictional Sex in the City character. Do you remember Ian Flanagan, the tennis player, who once had a little run at Queen's out of nowhere, and I think he might have been beaten Mark Philippoussis. Uh, we're, we're probably going... This was that is pre-Andy Murray, David. I think. Bloody hell, David, even by your standards. <laughs> That's extremely obscure. Very well done, though. <laughs> Book Thank recommendation you. and tennis. Mm-hmm. There's a 
There's a book coming out by Taylor Jenkins Reid, who's best-selling author, called Carrie mm. Soto is Back, and that is all about a tennis player coming out of retirement to try and win one last Grand Slam, I think. And, yeah, the, the lead is, is a carry, so maybe that's a tennis carry. Oh, there we go. We've done well there. We've we've done well for Carrie Flanagan. <laughs> Thank you very much for your support, Carrie. And last one today, we have Lotta Guinness, who is from Belgium. Oh, Lotta. but Guinness, though, another another Irish connection. I might be pronouncing that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially. Let's, let's assume you're not. <laughs> Potentially another irish connection uh thank you lotta um what do, do we think french belgium or flemish belgium i think we don't know do we matt i'm asking you questions you can't answer. well i'm gonna go with flemish i reckon flemish belgium okay like um lotta vuben moy the uh, english english defender part of the lionesses squad yes well done matt what a note to end on you've brought it full circle <laughs> i'm all about the appreciate football today. you matt all about the football lotta thank you very much for your support and for giving us an opportunity to mention the fact that football has come home uh, we are full of beans about it aren't we so uh, that's your review of the week that was in tennis we'll be back with another one next week i think it's going to be a bit of a banger of a week in the tennis world so make sure you join us for that subscribe to the newsletter in the meantime because honestly i promise you looking into harry's lovely eyes will will improve your week uh, and in the meantime do all of that and uh, we'll speak to you next monday mm-hmm. 